Hello, Jimbo speaking. Hello, Hershimer speaking. Hello, Jimbo speaking. Hello, Hershimer speaking. Hershimer, what are you doing? Hershimer, want to answer phone. Hershimer, the name of this podcast is Hello, Jimbo speaking, not Hello, Hershimer speaking. Maybe you change name. Hershimer, we need to talk. Stay right here while I once again fix the mess you caused. Okay. Once again, sorry folks. As you know, this is a new podcast and sometimes the characters, well, they just want to take over. Little old Hershimer still doesn't understand his place yet. I guess I'm going to have to hand this over to Riri while I talk with Hershimer. Hey, Riri, get us out of this mess, will ya? Okay, Jimbo. You talk to Hershimer while I get things started all over again. Hello, Jimbo speaking. launch week. This is the listener-supported Hello, Jimbo Speaking podcast. Today, Jimbo will be sharing another one of his super impactful stories from the front lines of ministry, the next provocative installment of Inside Jimbo's Head, and a brand new Laugh with a Punch one-minute comedy sketch from Lifeline Productions. Hey, Jimbo, why don't you fill our listeners in with the details? Sure, Riri, I'll be really happy to do that. This episode's story from the front lines of ministry is based on a phrase I hear all too often, nobody loves us, Jimbo. The setting for this important story was at the juvenile detention center the first time I returned after my wife Lois went home to dance with Jesus, as she always put it. Today I will also share another hilarious one-minute comedy skit from Lifeline Productions. This one is all about what it's like when we allow things to get in the way of serving God. Finally, when we enter inside Jimbo's head, we will be taking a second look at answering the question, what is cultural Christianity? Today, I will go a little deeper into the background for being able to answer this question. We will focus on understanding where American cultural beliefs had their beginnings. I will also introduce you to four specific basic beliefs that are fundamental to the American culture and the kind of behaviors and attitudes that grow out of these basic beliefs. You know, Riri, I'm really excited about today's episode. I know these things will really begin to turn our lives inside out and upside down, but only if we begin to take the blinders off and face the reality of our situation. So, hey, I'm going to hand this back over to you now, Riri. Take her away. Thanks, Jimbo. I know we're all excited to hear another sensational story from your ministry experiences, your next lesson on cultural Christianity versus kingdom Christianity, and the new comedy skit from Lifeline Productions. So, Jimbo, how was that little talk with Hershimer? Well, Riri, I was just finishing up with that little talk. You can listen in if you want. So, Hershimer, as I was saying, there are two things you got to get through that little old head of yours, okay? Yeah, Jimbo. 
Hershmer gotta stay off the phone, even though Hershmer think the listeners like Hershmer more than they like Jimbo. <laughs> well, Hershmer, <laughs> you may have a point there. You are kind of a lovable little guy. And speaking of lovable, what else do you have to remember? Hershmer can only be friends with Riri. That's right, Hershmer. But don't be sad. Getting to be friends with Riri is a pretty special thing in and of itself. So let me help you back into my bottom desk drawer before you cause too much trouble. Okay, Jimbo. Hershmer, going into drawer. Okay, Riri. I think that will help with your problem. So please help us get things going today. I'm sure the folks are tired of all this confusion. Okay, folks. As I said before, this is the listener-supported Hello Jimbo Speaking podcast. Your host is Jim Warren, author, motivational speaker, pastor, teacher, high-risk youth advocate, and youth coach. But most of all, he is an all-around wild and crazy guy. So, without any further ado, from behind a cheap microphone in the Dynamic Life Development Studios, okay, by now I know you know it's just his spare bedroom. Here's Jimbo! Okay, my friends, thanks so much for coming back to this third day of launch week. I've got the next story from the front lines of ministry all queued up and ready to go. But first, please remember to subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a message if you like, and consider the benefits of supporting us. Remember, 100% of all funds go to my direct costs in working with higher-risk disconnected youth and young adults. Speaking of them... Here is a story from the front lines of ministry that speaks volumes about how our lives can affect the lives of hurting young people, even hurting adults. So here is the story, No One Loves Us, Jimbo. may sound silly to you. It also may sound like I'm pointing a lot of fingers, but those war sounds sometimes make me think of us, you and me, people in the church. I just finished listening to a 35-minute podcast on theology. We can argue about this and argue about that, and we are so good at asking questions and arguing questions back and forth with one another. Yet, in the real world out there, people are struggling with a whole different set of questions. You're going to hear one of those questions in this story from the front lines of ministry. Nobody loves us, Jimbo. Really, nobody loves us. 
The one girl among 14 guys had the tenacity to speak her mind in class. They were all together in juvenile detention. I had been teaching the group about immeasurable worth. We had talked about how God made us as the basis for all people having immeasurable worth. However, I emphasized how we really know we have immeasurable worth is because God crushed his son Jesus on the cross so we can live in relationship with him. I shared a couple of stories about sacrifice and then spoke again of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. I shared how this great love proves we are people of immeasurable worth. Jimbo, nobody loves us. Really, nobody loves us, Jimbo, she said in a very soft voice. How can I believe that a God I cannot see loves me if I have never had anybody show me any love? She made that statement with a tear trickling down her cheek. I have heard that before, many times. But for some reason, maybe the tear or maybe her soft voice, I was taken back. I sat down on the edge of the desk and pulled myself together. You know, young lady, I have another story I'd like to tell you. This one is true because I lived with it every day up until last spring. That last spring, my wife at that time had gone home to be with the Lord, dancing with Jesus, she called it. She had four-stage lung cancer and beat it only to succumb to a blood clot in her lung. How many of you were in here a few years ago when Lois was in the hospital? Two young men raised their hands. One of them spoke up. I'm sorry, Jimbo, that Lois died. I know she really loved you and that she really loved us kids here in JDC. What do you mean, the young girl spouted out. This time she spoke in a defiant voice. How can you say she loved us? She never met any of us. This time, I saw how that young girl was not as soft as she seemed when she asked her first question. The boy responded, Hey Jimbo, tell her how Lois used to send you to us even when she thought she was dying. I started at the beginning. I shared how Lois and I met. I shared how we decided to marry even though there was the possibility of lung cancer. I shared how beautiful Lois was and the way she would talk to her hospital roommates about Jesus. I shared with the group how we were told in October of 2008 that she only had three to six months to live. I shared how I never wanted to leave her side. Then I told them how Lois would force me to leave to be with the kids in JDC. They need you, Jim. They need you to tell them about Jesus. Those were her words. I shared how I never left her side for business meetings or staff meetings, but twice a week she would kick me out of her hospital room to be with our kids. I shared how even though she had never met them, she thought of them as our kids. I shared how she would pray while I was gone to JDC for each youth to understand Jesus' love for them. I shared how I was sure that even now, she would want me to be with them. I got choked up a couple of times. I let them know that real love does not look out for its own interest, but for the interest of others. I let them know that is what God's love is all about. The young girl put her head on her arms and began to weep. Tears were coming down the cheeks of two very macho young men. 
they felt loved. I'll be back in a moment. To prove a couple of points, Amazing Alan will now attempt to jump through the eye of a needle that is welded to the top of this 55-gallon drum while riding a camel. Are you ready, Alan? Hey, you got it, guys! Giddy up! One of those points being that a camel can sense impending danger. has just proved the second point. This ain't gonna work, guys! That's right. It's very difficult for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Hey, I could have told you that! And Jesus said it's easier to do that than for a rich man to get into heaven. Well, with what you guys pay me, I don't have to worry about being rich. Very few people think they are rich, Alan. Well, I'm not in the higher tax bracket. Alan, if what you do have gets in the way of serving God, it's wrong. Is that why I slam my face into a stack of drums? Yes. Oh. It's got to be an easier way to make these points, guys. Another message from Lifeline Productions, the comic strip of radio at lifelinepro.com. Hey, I told you I would be right back. Isn't it interesting how, at certain times and in certain ways, our authentic, self-emptying, self-sacrificial love can touch people who we have never met? That sure was true with the love Lois had for the kids in JDC. You know, I have been blessed with two very special wives. Lois, who went home to be with Jesus in 2013, and now Tracy, my wife, for over five years. Both recognized how they were entrusted with God's love, and both allow it to flow freely and sacrificially to others. One thing we often forget is that behaviors, and especially cultural behavioral patterns, just don't grow out of thin air. Our behaviors and our cultural behavioral patterns come from key ideas, principles, and belief systems ingrained in our culture many generations before we live. Today, I will talk to you about the core ideas, principles, and belief systems of America's key founding fathers, which heavily impacts, even today, the American culture. Okay, let's get down to business by continuing to look at the question, what is cultural Christianity? And more specifically, what is American cultural Christianity? But first, I need to give you a couple of reminders, set the background a little deeper, and then, well, let's see how far we get. In every one of these episodes in this series, I will always remind you why these hard questions and difficult statements I make are so important. At some point, you will ask yourself why you should be listening to these things that are so different from what you normally hear in the church. Well, remember this? When the desert wind blows, it shapes the sand, and the church has become more like the sand than the wind. That came from a statement that started out, as we face the new millennium, 
we acknowledge that the state of the church is marked by a paradox of growth without depth. The truth of the matter is that we have been on a downward spiral ever since that statement was released by evangelical leaders in 1999. Now, these things are so important to me, they really affect me even when I'm listening to the radio in my car. You see, today on my way back from meeting with a young man I'm discipling, I actually heard a Christian leader say this on the radio, we are in the golden age of Christianity. Why did he say such a thing? His point was that we now have more information about Christianity available and more ways of sharing that information than at any time in the history of the church. By now, you should understand the two reasons that statement sent shivers down my spine as I heard such an absurd statement. First, if we are indeed in the golden age of Christianity, why did John Dickerson, after pulling together all the studies and facts available in 2016, describe the church as sputtering because of declining numbers, bleeding because of failing discipleship, bankrupt because of depleted dollars, and hated because of our antagonistic host culture? With that question running through my mind, There in my car listening to the radio, I realized I ran across one more ostrich with his head buried in the sand. Now, please listen to this. I'm not looking for agreement with me on every point I make, but come on. We have to face the reality of our situation and stop putting out such fake statements made from behind rose-colored glasses. When we make those kinds of statements with our eyes blind to the facts, we are not doing our fellow Christians any favors, nor are we doing the church any favors, and definitely we are not doing God any favors. Then there is the reality I mentioned in the last episode, and that you will hear me bemoan over and over again throughout this series on cultural Christianity versus kingdom Christianity. The solution the average leader in North American evangelicalism gives to any problem we face, even when they have a clear view of the problem, is more information. We definitely live in a church that is inundated with rationalistic intellectualism at the cost of authentic spirituality. But hey, I can't get too mad at those leaders because look how they were trained for leadership. They sat in classes all the time, getting more and more information. Now, we'll talk more on that soon. I also want to remind you of some very important information I shared with you in the last episode as we began to answer our question of the day. First, you must remember that human culture is a man-made system of learned ideas and behavioral patterns developed to cultivate both identity as well as the harmonious relationship among people of a particular society while passing that kind of relationship and identity on to the next generation. What I did not share with you at that time is that there is a God-created culture which, in almost all points, runs counterclockwise to every humanly developed culture. We will discuss that culture, the kingdom culture, as soon as we finish with our look at American cultural Christianity. Now, here's a little side note. 
I need you to know that as I begin to point out the way our American culture and the basic beliefs of our founding fathers run counterclockwise to God's kingdom culture, I am not anti-American. You could think that I am simply bashing America and American culture because I do not like America. That would be a false assumption. Being brought up in the American culture and having lived in it for many, 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 okay, you get the idea of how old I am, many years, I think it is one of the best, if not the best, man-made country and culture in history. It is not that I hate or even dislike America or any other country or culture that has been established by people. Yet I, and anyone who is in Christ, am a part of a different kingdom, a higher kingdom, and a different culture, a higher culture. And it is on that kingdom and culture we must base our thinking and the lives we live. You see, this different, this new culture often runs counterculturally and grates against many of the basic ideals that form the behaviors of the American culture. Actually, that is true for any man-developed culture you can name. So I am never saying the things I have said and will say to bash America or any other country or culture which exists physically on the face of this planet, or any other planet for that matter. Yet I and you, if you are in Christ, are under a different, God-created system of ideals and behaviors that we have not only learned, but now through the work of the Holy Spirit have them ingrained in our inner persons. This gives us a new identity and a new way to live in relationship with the king of this new kingdom and other people who are a part of this kingdom, as well as those who are not yet a part of this kingdom. You will understand what I mean by these things as we move forward and reach the episodes on Kingdom Christianity. Okay, let's get back on the main road and continue with the review of the last episode. I shared a few other things in that episode, yet the most important to remember because you live in the American culture is how the basic ideas and beliefs which form the American culture and were instilled by the Founding Fathers are based on the modernistic thinking from the Age of Enlightenment, or, as others call it, the Age of Reason. Now, I know that opens up a can of worms for many of you who are listening to this podcast, and I really don't mean to offend you. I do not have the time to get deeply involved in this issue other than to point out a few key reasons I make such a statement. Hopefully, as I do that, you will begin to see what I have seen. And I have to tell you, it really shook me up. It shook the foundations of my Americanness and the confusion I had concerning American culture and the kingdom of God. Now, to not go over these things would be just plain foolishness and dishonest, no matter what your reaction to these reasons may be. I will also share the title of a very important book which anyone from any camp who is a seeker of truth should thoroughly study if they wish to be credible in their understanding of the ideals that formed America and thus the American culture. First, we have all been lulled into a dualistic mindset. 
We see that today in politics, in religion, and certainly in the way we have been taught to look at the history of the United States of America, especially when it comes to our founding fathers. Today, there are basically two camps from which we are told we must choose when trying to understand the mindset of our founding fathers. Each cherry-picks through the historical documentation to find support for their positions. That shouldn't surprise you. Many people do that on many different subjects. Now, on the one hand, we have those who see the founders as forerunners of today's secularists who prize a wall of separation between church and state. Often, deism is the belief system this group points to as the basis of the founder's belief. Another side note, deism was developed to counter Christianity. This camp, which espouses secularism and deism as the basis for the beliefs of our founding fathers, is represented in the academic community by the majority of historians and political scientists. The popularity of this camp can be found on university campuses and in groups like Americans for the Separation of Church and State. On the other hand, we have those who want to show that the founders intended the United States to be a Christian nation built upon Christian and specifically biblical principles. Those who espouse this idea are usually either lawyers or pastors, not historians. Peter Marshall and David Manuel published a book entitled The Light and the Glory, which inspired a revival of this camp around the time of the American Bicentennial. It has become the classic text for this group. However, the historical documentation of this book is shallow and it is filled with speculations, suppositions, personal musings, and insights with little or no proof or documentation for its extraordinary claims. The most prolific of the proponents of the Christian American camp is David Barton. He has created an entire organization to promote his views and to market his mountain of materials. However, here is something to really keep in mind. If you study not only the public records of the founders, but their personal letters and journals, you discover both camps are sadly wanting in their opinions. The problem comes when one studies only the public record. While the key founding fathers' philosophy was not Orthodox Protestant Christianity, even for their day, they were political Protestant and could consequently use familiar and socially acceptable language in their public speeches and writings. Now, since I was a young man becoming interested in politics, every president and most other politicians claim Christianity as their religious view, regardless of their behaviors and conduct or the depth of their belief in biblical truths. This is not so different than what we find with the key founding fathers. The key founding fathers include Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, J. Adams, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, Governor Morris, and James Wilson. A full study of the personal documents of these men, made from an unbiased historical perspective, shows that the political theology of the American founding era was neither Christian nor deistic secularism. The prevailing political theology of the American founding era was something called theistic rationalism. 
With that introduction, let me give you a few points about theistic rationalism pertinent to our subject, and then I will suggest a book for those who are truly seekers of truth and desire to go deeper into this subject. The key founders and patriotic preachers were decidedly and explicitly theists. They believed in a personal God above nature, about whom they had well-formed and well-defined ideas. These theistic rationalists believed in a powerful, rational, benevolent creator God who established laws by which the universe functioned. Their God was a unitary, personal God who was present and active and who intervened in human affairs. Consequently, they believed that prayers were heard and effectual. They believed that the main factor in serving God was living a good and moral life, that promotion of morality was central to the value of religion, and that the morality engendered by religion was indispensable to society. Because virtually all religions promoted morality, they believed that many, perhaps all religious traditions or systems, were valid and led to the same God. Thus, they could call for prayer in national times of difficulty as they did during the Constitutional Convention and through the Revolutionary War. They also could use such terms as, in God we trust, all men are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and God bless America. Jefferson also, because of his belief system, could pass out copies of the New Testament to every member of Congress an act which continued up until the 1950s. However, these were not the New Testament of today or even of his time, but one in which he removed all unreasonable aspects and presented basically only the moral teachings of Jesus and his early disciples, which Jefferson found rationally correct. That the theistic rationalists had some slight connection to Christianity but were not fully proponents of it, can be seen in the fact that although they did not believe that Jesus was God, they considered him a great moral teacher and held a higher view of him than most deists. They believed in a personal afterlife in which the wicked were temporarily punished and the good would experience happiness forever. Although they thought that God primarily revealed himself through nature, Theistic rationalists believed that some written revelation was a legitimate revelation from God, but all scripture had to pass through their test of reasonableness. Thus, some scriptures were from God, and others were simply human ideas, thus the Jeffersonian Bible. Now, though they believed that reason and revelation generally agreed with each other, they had a firm belief that revelation was designed to complement reason, not vice versa. Reason, human reason, was the ultimate standard for learning and evaluating truth and for determining legitimate revelation from God for the theistic rationalist. Those who followed this idea were not trying to establish a new religion, but transform religion specifically Christian religion, into something more reasonable that all men of goodwill could agree upon. By men of goodwill, they meant men who were enlightened by education in the study of reason. This was happening at all the major universities like Princeton, which were also seminaries. 
This led them to discard many fundamental elements of Christianity while preserving a set of core convictions grounded on reason rather than on revelation or scripture. Now, these guys were first and foremost men of the Enlightenment and believed religion could be preserved in the modern age only by rationalizing and simplifying it to include the belief in a rational morality or universal benevolence that required religious tolerance, human freedom, and scientific progress. This caused them to discard nearly all doctrines of traditional Judaism and Christianity as irrational relics of a less enlightened age, which modern people, especially educated, enlightened people, have outgrown. However, they still preserved residual connections with Christianity, even when they attacked specific Christian dogmas and practices. This is why it's so easy to misinterpret what they're saying and believe that they were truly Christians. Again, let me point out that the adherents to theistic rationalism were not Christian, and the system was not a subset of Christianity. The eight key founders denied every fundamental doctrine of Christianity as it was defined and understood in their day. By the way, a look at the basic beliefs of Orthodox Christianity, as seen in the five denominations active in America at the time of its founding, look very much like the basic tenets of evangelicalism. These included the doctrines of the Trinity, the deity of Christ, original sin, the virgin birth, the atoning work of Christ, which satisfied our debt of sin, the resurrection, justification by faith and the inspiration and authority of Scripture over all things. Here's another little tidbit about this era in American history. Only 17% of all Americans at the time of its founding were involved in a church. This carries even heavier weight when you recognize that at that time, if you were not a part of a local congregation, you were not considered, nor did you consider yourself, a Christian. Okay, now if you're getting upset, settle down. You see, I know that if you are a student of the book, The Light and the Glory, or of David Barton, you are at this moment beginning to get hot under the collar. But before you get even more steamed at me for making such statements, please do some research. I suggest starting with the book, The Religious Beliefs of America's Founders, Reason, Revelation, and Revolution by Greg L. Frazier. Frazier is a Baptist seminary professor of history with a specialty in the era of America's founding. In this book, he gives you a step-by-step -step look into theistic rationalism and its roots in the Age of Enlightenment, including demonstration of specific personal writings and journals of the key eight founding fathers I have mentioned. Now, you may ask, so, why, Jim, did you take so much time on this subject? You are simply alienating a large part of your audience. Man, I hope that isn't true. I realize that possibility, but a Christian is not to promote political concepts and structures, but the kingdom of God, no matter how Christian-like those political concepts and structures may present themselves. This was truly the story of the early church, who didn't consider themselves part of 
any kingdom other than the kingdom of God. Now, where there are differences between the culture and the political structure in which we live and Scripture, a follower of Jesus must recognize them because to not do so prevents their understanding of Christianity, their proclamation of Christianity, and it also keeps them from the fullness of life in Christ. And that, my friend, is exactly what has taken place in America, producing American cultural Christianity. We have confused the American political system and the American culture with the principles of the kingdom of God. Now, if you followed along with my description of theistic rationalism, you could see how easy it is to take the religious comments by the Founding Fathers and interpret them as Christian. This is what happened, and the result of this is the confusion of American ideas and basic principles with those of Christianity. If America is a Christian nation, then our basic ideals and practices must be Christian. They are not. In fact, as we will soon see in subsequent episodes, they are far removed from the teachings of Jesus and his early disciples. They are just as far removed from biblical teachings today as the Founding Fathers' beliefs were removed from Christian orthodoxy of their day. This is true in all areas except the area of morality, for the Founding Fathers believed the purpose of Christianity or any other religion was to establish a moral framework. This framework would allow our society and our democracy to flourish, according to our Founding Fathers. The interesting fact is that the Founding Fathers were more correct in their understanding of biblical morality than the average person who considers themselves a Christian today. Today, as we saw in the first episode of this series, the average Christian including many who identify as evangelicals, see biblical morality as a smorgasbord of ideas from which they can pick and choose, depending on the situation in which they find themselves. Finally, there is one more overarching reason why this is important to our study of American cultural Christianity. Most people see culture as a pattern of behaviors, as you saw in the definitions that I gave you in the last episode. However, behaviors and behavioral patterns do not just form out of midair. There is always something at that root of those behaviors, whether they are individual behaviors or cultural behaviors common to all people of a society. In a class that I teach to young men and women in juvenile detention called Why Do I Do What I Do When I Do What I Do, we discuss this very topic. For many of them, it is a life changer. The basic concept of this class is that most people allow their experiences and feelings to drive their behaviors. This leads to many wrong behaviors who put those who live like this in a very difficult situation. You know, like juvenile detention. However, it is not limited to juveniles, but all age groups who live by their life experiences and feelings. The way to change this is to understand that our belief system drives our thinking, which drives our attitude, which drives our behaviors, which in turn creates the majority of our life experiences and feelings. 
For the biblically-minded Christian, our belief system is set by revelation, not rationalism as the Founding Fathers believed. So here is the bottom line. The culture of America or any society comes from basic beliefs or premises which eventually drive our behaviors, which form our life experiences and feelings, establishing cultural behavioral patterns. Thus, to understand a specific culture, we must look far beyond specific behavioral patterns to the basic beliefs or premises of that culture. This is why I've taken so much time, at the possible expense of listeners turning this podcast off, to outline how the basis on which America was founded was something far less and far different from Christianity, and especially evangelical Christianity. The belief that America was founded by Christians on Christian principles is one main reason why it is so hard for American Christians to differentiate between American cultural Christianity and kingdom Christianity. Now, let me say one thing. There were Christians who were a part of the founding of America. But the eight key founding fathers that I mentioned earlier were the ones who really set the tone to the whole concept of America and American culture. Here are a few of the basic ideals and beliefs which produce American cultural behavioral patterns and have turned American Christianity into a cultural Christianity. First, there is rationalism, which is promoted at the expense of spirituality. Second, individualism, which expresses itself in self-reliance and self-sufficiency, as well as many other activities that fill up the hearts and minds of those attached to the American culture. Third, pragmatism, which feeds off all the advances of a society based on rationalism and scientific discovery and causes people to trust more in the modern methodologies than in the biblical spiritual principles of Christ and his early followers. Finally, independence, which in turn feeds individuality over community, competition over cooperation, and trust in oneself over trust in God. Once again, please remember, I am not simply against these basic premises of Americanism. They have done well for the American people, including me. But the kingdom of God is not about doing well for the American people, or even for ourselves. Because all Jesus' followers belong to a higher culture, which was inaugurated and established by Jesus in his incarnation, death, resurrection, and ascension, we must speak to these issues. I am not anti-American or anti-any other government or culture. I, as you are if you are in Christ, are simply a part of a completely different kingdom with completely different values, creating a completely different culture. The one reason I'm talking about these things is so that we can move towards the revitalization of conventional Christianity one person at a time. Why do we have to revitalize contemporary Christianity? The American culturalization of Christianity is a big reason why this revitalization must take place. Always remember the desperate situation the church finds itself in today, which we discussed in the first episode of this series. 
Now, here is the big question I want you to consider today. Will you be one of those who are a part of this revitalization movement? For it will only happen one person at a time. Are you that person? Now, obviously, I've taken up our time on this episode of Inside Jimbo's Head. That was not my original intention, but it is our reality. Because of that, we will continue in the next episode this discussion on cultural Christianity and the four areas of Americanism which have been ingested by the American Church initiating American cultural Christianity at the expense of God's kingdom Christianity. Oh, I must share with you this important update. Tomorrow will be the last day of launch week where our launch week episodes of the Hello Jimbo Speaking podcast will include the segment Inside Jimbo's Head. Why? Friday, the last day of launch week, I have dedicated to a very special two-part story from the front lines of ministry. In fact, Friday's podcast will simply include the story of a young man who so influenced my life that I have dedicated all the direct ministry I do with youth to, well, you'll have to come back Friday to hear the rest of that sentence. You really do not want to miss Friday's podcast. However, I will be back tomorrow with the final installment of What is Cultural Christianity? Now, before I sign out and turn this over to Riri and Hershimer, I want to remind you of three things I need you to do for me, the young people I work with, and this podcast. Here it is, short and sweet. Please, if you have not already, subscribe to this podcast. Then, click the support button and financially support my work with disconnected troubled youth by supporting this podcast. And finally, Leave us a message about how you think we are doing or any questions or encouragements you might have for us. Told you it would be short and sweet. So, until the next episode, please remember that as you live your life in Jesus, go out there and by God's grace make it a great day that brings honor and glory to Him no matter what your circumstances may be. Hey, it's Riri coming back at you. Here is the quickest announcement I have ever made. And then I'm going to talk to Hershimer one more time. So keep listening. Jimbo filled you in on the details earlier. DLD University will not launch for another six months. But please, subscribe to this podcast today and become a part of the Jimbo Nation by setting up a monthly donation of only 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99. Remember, if you choose the $9.99 monthly donation, you will get a 75% discount on everything at DLDU, including a lifetime membership. If you wait until after DLDU launches, that discount will drop to 33%. Plus, during launch week, if you subscribe and support at the $9.99 option, Jimbo will send you a code for a 25% discount on his already discounted most recent book, Communing with the Trinity, A Doctrine Experienced in Reality, at dldpublishing.com. But hey, whether or not you use the discounts, 
you will be helping Jimbo make a huge difference in the life of some very hurting and misdirected young people. So it really is worth every penny you use to support Jimbo's ministry. Please don't forget to return tomorrow for the next show of our launch week, where Jimbo will share another impactful story from the front lines of ministry. Another laugh with an impact one minute comedy skit from the Lifeline Productions and continue his series on cultural Christianity versus kingdom Christianity. Oh, yeah, I'm sure Hershimer will be around as well. Speaking of Hershimer, hey, Hershimer, come out here and tell the people goodbye. Hershimer loves Riri. Hershimer, what did Jimbo just say to you about that kind of talk? <laughs> oh, come on, Hershimer, don't be sad. I want to be your buddy just like Jimbo is your buddy. Is that okay? Hershimer got an idea. And what idea is that, Hershimer? Hershimer, say goodbye. Okay, Hershimer, do your thing. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, goodbye. Goodbye.